Um, welcome. Tonight we're going to go through some uh, pictures and talk about our trip to, uh, to Israel. And, um, but first, let's, let's open up with prayer. And I have just been told that Judy Elrod, uh, sister, uh, got some bad news today. And those of you that know Miss Betty Jo Whaley, her daughter, Vicky, yesterday had to be rushed to the hospital. Um, and she is in, is in really bad shape. So if you could be remembering her in prayer. Um, and let's open up with prayer. Father God, Lord, we thank you. Uh, we thank you for uh, the way that you've blessed Israel. And Lord, we thank you for giving the four of us the opportunity to go and see and, and touch with our hands. And, and Lord, we just praise you for that. Lord, I pray that tonight uh, would be a night where uh, we are able to explain some of the pictures, and Lord, that we are able to talk about some of the things we saw. But Lord, I, I pray more than anything that you are glorified and that we, um, that we turn and look to you. Lord, we love you and we thank you for the opportunities that you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, before we begin, I just want to uh, say that it was a, a wonderful privilege that we had to go. Um, I will say that it's still a situation where, in my mind, I have not yet digested uh, everything. It was just really strange to be going down a highway, and, you know, like a, feels like I-65, and the exit signs say Mount Carmel or Cana. Um, that just doesn't jive with, with our thought processes a lot of times. Um, I, with, this was a different kind of a trip. In that it was both biblical historical information as well as a missions trip. We spent a lot of time, uh, in fact the first three days we spent the majority of our time meeting with uh, believers and lost Palestinians and uh, giving them food and uh, I, I told the guys yesterday it was a lot like our Tuesday visitation where we would go and sit down and let this uh, older lady or these older two guys just let them talk and love on them. It was a great honor uh, among believers in the nation of Palestine to to um, to be able to be the hands and feet of Jesus. I mean, if you think about it, a Palestinian Christian is probably one of the most hated people in the world. Because where they live, in Bethlehem or Jerusalem, they're hated by the Palestinians. They're hated by the Jews that surround them. They're hated by the, the traditional Christians that are around them. They are all alone. And yet, the first night that we were there, Sunday night, um, it felt like home. It was my sisters and brothers in Christ. And so, where they're hurting, we should be hurting. When they are threatened, they are threatening you and me. And so it was a privilege to be able to sit in people's homes, love on them, pray for them, uh, eat food with them, and big fat grapes that were some of the best grapes you've ever eaten in your life uh, that we ate, and, and fresh dates. And I will say a little funny story. We're sitting there, and we're eating grapes. Of course, they weren't seedless grapes, and they're these big fat grapes. And, and we're, we're eating them, and I look over, and Jeff, not knowing what to do with the seeds, is putting them in his pocket. And I'm thinking, what an idiot. What is he doing? And he just keeps going. Thank you. These are good. Put them in his pocket. So we're going to start pictures. And what we're going to do is why don't you guys come up here and let's just be a panel discussion. And uh, we've got a mic up here. And um, 
We, you can see we're well prepared and all ready to go. And uh, as we come to pictures, I let everybody communicate and say what we're looking at. All right, welcome to Israel. First of all, it was a long journey from this aspect that we took a detour in New York and stayed about two days. Reason being is we were on the tarmac uh, in Atlanta, what, four hours? Four hours. Four hours because of bad weather in New York. So by the time we land in New York, our LL flight for Tel Aviv was already gone. So they tell us what line to stand in. And so we go to stand in the line, and Susie and Judy and myself, and Tom is going to divide and conquer. <laughs> I know, I know Mr. Miss Harrison really finds that shocking, right? And so he's going to go down to the LL desk and talk to him about what our options are. And, and our orders are to stay there with the JetBlue desk and, and find out what our options are. And bottom line is our options were not alike. We could have got out the next day on Turkish air. And that would have been New York to Istanbul, then to Tel Aviv. Now, for those who thought, hey, here's an opportunity to get rid of Tom. Uh, going to Istanbul would not have been a bad idea. However, we've kind of grown fond of him, so we decided that that was not a good idea. Uh, LL does not fly on Saturdays because it's the, the Sabbath. So bottom line, we could have spent two nights in a terminal in um, Gate 4 at JFK, or we could have got a hotel room. We wouldn't got a hotel room <laughs> and had a, had a good time. Had a good time, so it wasn't just straight there. But once we got to Israel, it was uh, quite the quite the journey. That is just a picture uh, taken on the road from Tel Aviv up, uh, going up to Bethlehem. Just a little bit of the landscape. All right, that is our hotel that we stayed in in Bethlehem. Now notice it says Paradise Hotel. <laughs> so Jeff and I snuggled. <laughs> we walk in and that's the way Tom and our beds are. And that is a box springs on the floor with a mattress on top. I quickly went to that arrangement. <laughs> I love you, brother, but not that much, you know? <laughs> uh, that is where we parked in there. You'll notice the, um, see right there, the little white van. That was our mode of transportation, and the gate had to be locked and unlocked every time we came in or went out. And there was some construction going on, so that was, we, we got the van real dirty for them. This is taken uh, right outside of the church in Bethlehem, Pastor Naeem's church. That's just looking out over Bethlehem from the church. And there's his church building. And Susie, won't you tell him a little bit about Pastor Naeem and his church, what he does? You know more about that than probably anybody. It's on. Is it on? Yes, is it on? Okay. Uh, the church here, our church, has been supporting him. He first came to North Glencoe about 1980 to 82 to Jubilees. And uh, Stephen was very young, about three or four, and kind of a wild child. 
And um, preachers usually they, are. Uh, they have a church in. They have a branch church in Jericho. They have one in Janine. They have uh, a work um, in uh, Jerusalem. Two in Jerusalem, actually. Uh, Stephen and another pastor somewhere there, or else it's a school. And then they have the one in Bethlehem. And um, I, I will say, I don't know if Jeff intended to. Um, I got a little anxious on the first night there because they said that their deacon uh, had been put in jail, had just gotten out of jail. So, you know, I thought, well, I hope I haven't brought my pastor <laughs> over here to a bad situation where it's not safe. But Judy and I prayed, and and we had a peace, and we had a peace the whole time. But they are a persecuted church because... Um, he believes the Bible. He believes in the promises to Abraham. And the Muslims, of course, don't agree with that. They believe it's with Ishmael. So that causes a lot of problems for them. And one of the interesting things Pastor Naim told me that they had the week before taken out a loan for $2,000 to bail out their deacon. Um, to our deacons here, if you go to jail, we're probably not going to bail you out. Just saying. It's just all according to what the charges are. But that is a, as, as we, as a church, you know, you always talk about finances and, and, and issues like that. And that's something that we in the States have never had to deal with, bailing out your pastor and your deacons. And so, um, wherever the gospel goes, it is met with resistance, wherever that is. And so here at this church, they, they are experiencing that and they are being faithful, um, the very fact that they have a lit cross on the outside of the building invites people to walk by and throw rocks in the windows and um, make noise while they're having their service. And, but it's still, they have the guts and the grace to be open about the fact that we know you hate us because of Jesus, but that's okay. We're going to love you anyway. And I think one thing that's very, inter, uh, very important to understand is this church is in Bethlehem. Bethlehem is in the West Bank, and for those who may not know, the West Bank is in the Palestinian Authority's control. It is what's known as the Occupied Territory or the, or the West Bank. So when we were going into it, we actually had to go through a checkpoint. That, that'll be important in a minute. That's kind of the entry uh, when you first walk into the office part of their church. Um, if I'm not mistaken, Susie, isn't that the gentleman right there that spent two days in, in jail? Yes. Yeah. He leads their music for them. Uh, there's Pastor Naeem and Susie. And I'll get to a picture in a minute, but while I was over there, one of my devotions for the day was, if you want to become wise, surround yourself with wise people. I will tell you, I was surrounded by three very wise people and three very God-loving uh, Christians that, although I learned a tremendous amount in Israel and a tremendous amount there, I learned a tremendous amount by watching and listening to them too. And so Susie did an outstanding job. Pastor Tom uh, preached that night and uh, through interpretation with Pastor Naeem and, and did a, a real good job. Interestingly enough, the text that I preached from, Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, was the same text that he had preached from that morning. 
So God had put that together. It was very, very neat. Um, that's just a picture of their, of their sanctuary, if you will. Um, a very nice building, but to echo what Susie and Tom said, they struggle to have things. They're not just given to them. Uh, they, they scrape and claw for everything they get. Which one of the questions that I've gotten as we go through the pictures of the church of <clears throat> why can't the church, that church that's been there for 30 years, why can't it support itself? Which if you just look at missiological theory is a very wise question. Typically in the New Testament, whenever we see a church, you see from an established church money going out as they support other things. Um, and so the question is, is a good one. Why, why are they now a 30-year-old church and they are still asking us for support? They'd be no different from us as a church asking First Baptist Glencoe to support us. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Let me explain a little bit. One is, <clears throat> um, if you're a Christian in Palestine, your religion is on your ID card. Which means that as a Christian, you're unemployable in a lot of cases. People are going to hire you because you're the enemy. You're not to be trusted. So people have a difficulty finding a job in general, as well as the fact that as the church is responsible to care for their, the widows of that church. We actually, one of the pictures that you'll see in a minute is a, a, a widow lady whose husband was beaten to death and cut up with an axe uh, as a believer, and so he was martyred for the cause of Christ, it, it doesn't get any clearer for a widow that the church should be taken care of. And so here's a church that's financially unable to support itself because of the fact that people can't get a job because they're a believer, and then they have a burden of supporting the believing people around them, as well as a socioeconomic situation in Palestine where the economy is collapsing because the only influx of funds that they had was yours and my gift that we give every day to the federal government being given to the Palestinian authorities. About three months ago, after the United States recognized Jerusalem as a nation, I'm sorry, as the capital, um, the Palestinian Authority ceased negotiations of any type with the U.S. government. And as of three weeks ago, President Trump said, if you won't talk to us about issues, we're not giving you any money. Now, for those of us sitting in this room in Glencoe, Alabama, that makes perfect sense. However, if you are a man, and we met this man who had lung cancer and was undergoing chemo, and that chemotherapy was being paid for by the U.S. government, and then all of a sudden, the hospital says, you ain't getting no more chemo. Who is he going to blame? Who's the bad guy in that scenario in his mind? So one of the things as believers, as we're around the world, have to realize is that we represent a king and a kingdom, not a country. We represent our faith. And so that, that man who was lost, he allowed us because he can't work because he's got cancer, he's struggling, and so the church sent him food and we carried it and delivered it. He sat down and talked to us and we were able to share the gospel with him. As the, giving him food opened the door, we were able to share the gospel. Now he tried to bait us multiple times in the conversations about why Trump is a terrible person or why the U.S. government stinks. And we always try to sidestep that and talk about what an awesome Savior we serve. But I wanted to address that because I have had some people before we left that asked, why is it that this church is needing support? And I hope that answers that question. Go ahead. I'll try to shut up. No. This was the... Uh... 
slash altar call at the end of the service. And if you notice, they're all praying for somebody or they're praying for, for something. Uh, a, very, uh, a very praying uh, congregation there. Uh, as Tom has said, we went and visited uh, families and delivered them food. This was our first family that we uh, visited the next morning. Uh, two sisters, uh, Susie, Judy, help me out, 86 and 88, was that their ages, thereabout? And this was the first place where we were told that Jeff looks like a Palestinian. <clears throat> we're not going to say what we said Tom looked like, but we'll get there in a minute too. Um, I've got to brag on these two ladies right here a little bit, uh, Miss Judy and Susie. They had a way of just identifying with those ladies and uh, loving on them. Uh, Miss Judy sat there and just patted uh, this one right here's hand for just such a long time. It was just you, you could feel the love. Uh, this was a brother-in-law? It's their brother. Brother? Yeah, okay. Their brother that lives next door. He was complaining because we didn't bring him any food, but he got food last time, according to Daniel, so we're okay. This is outside their home. Um, and the reason I took that picture is just to kind of give you an idea of we're not talking about individual homes that just set out. Most everybody lives in an apartment situation or a very small home that's just stacked on top of each other. And realize we are in Bethlehem, which is in the hills of Judea, which is 10 miles from Jerusalem. It, one of the things that this trip taught me that I, I had never wrapped my brain around is the entire nation of Israel is about the size of New Jersey. In fact, if you drove from the tippy-tippy top of Israel all the way to the most southern point, Ann and I were talking today and I, I looked it up, it's about the distance of driving from here to the other side of Montgomery. It's not a large place. And so Bethlehem in the West Bank, where all this trouble is, is literally as close as Southside is to us now from the capital of Israel. And so we're not talking about great distances at all. This was the second home that we, we visited. And one thing that, that caught me on about the second uh, house, everybody had marble some of the most beautiful marble floors, porches, outside porches, gorgeous marble. Poor people have marble. Rich people have carpet. I, I learned that. <clears throat> I would like to have taken some of their marble home with me because it was, it was absolutely beautiful. Um, Susie, I want you to tell the, this one. This lady right here uh, is Miss Vivi. That's Pastor Naeem's wife. She was our interpreter for the day. And uh, Susie, why don't, why don't you tell about this family? Because you were sitting there next to the, to the little lady that Miss Vivi was, was witnessing to. Well, the young man there uh, had had um, a good job as a construction worker, but he had been unemployed there, and he took a job in a grocery store. And um, they seem to have a lot of needs. And um, Vivi, or she'll sign her name Alvira, but that's not her <laughs> name. I'm not sure, you know. But uh, she's uh, a very, um, 
She's very dedicated. She's a tremendous help to name, and um, she speaks four languages. I thought it was five, but she's working on one. She told me four. Um, she prays for hours at a time with uh, the people in the community, and uh, she was our interpreter that day. Um, I don't know much else to tell you about that. Well, that lady got saved. Got saved. Yeah. The lady, uh, that's, that's what I want to the, the elderly lady, she yeah, was, she uh, they had worked on, they had uh, several times prayed with, her. prayed with her, but she had never accepted Christ, but she did that morning while we were there. And these are the most humble people. They're just precious people. They're just the young man there in the blue shirt was just, I sat and talked to him for a long time. He was, um, they all want to come to America, but he was, he was just really um, very nice man. He was very shy. He wouldn't look at, he didn't look at me in the eye for a long time. And then after a while, he, he did. He kind of warmed up to me, and he said, you know, I'm, I'm very shy. I guess Palestinians may not feel comfortable looking at women in eye to eye. That may have been the issue. I noticed while we were there, and if you see it, I just noticed it here. That symbol looks like a little smiley face. That is the Arabic letter N. Uh, and Christian homes, I noticed on the curb, would either have a cross painted on the curb or that Arabic letter N, which uh, the noon, which is N, um, identifies them as Christians because it's, it's N for a Nazarene. So you'll, if you'll see, you'll see that looks like a little smiley face, a, a smiley symbol and then the dots. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Next stop, lunch. Uh, uh, there, that is uh, chicken to right there and beef on that side. And it's kind of like an Arabic subway, okay? Uh, you go in and you get your little bread there and you get in a little line and you tell them what you want on it. It is good. Uh, that's it, what it ends up. It's a bunch up. of chicken stuck on the pole. Yeah. <laughs> Compressed. But that's what it looks like after you get it all rolled up. Um, Tom, can you help me out with the pronunciation? Shawarma. Shawarma. Shawarmas. And shawarmas are good. They are very good. I got the combo chicken beef. I mean, I'm going to try them both at the same time. And it, it was pretty good. Don't let that little thing confuse you. It might look like a harmless little banana pepper. No, sir. It'll set you on fire. But it was good. Yeah. Notice the end there. There wasn't a lot off that one, okay? <laughs> just, uh, I just thought that was a neat street sign. Uh, like Tom was saying, you'd look up and you'd see the word, hey, Jerusalem, that way. Like, okay. And it'll say Southside Hoax Bluff Glencoe. You know, we're, we're talking Jerusalem. And Shepherd's Field so. is where the shepherds were keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, an angel of the Lord came upon them. Uh, that's Daniel Collins. He was our contact with Homeland Missions um, and little girl sitting next to him. Uh, there's, um, I think that's the same little girl. That is her grandmother right there. Tom and I came up with a, with a term called universals, okay? And, and what I mean by universals is it doesn't matter if you're in Glencoe, Alabama, New York City, or Bethlehem. There are certain things that are just universal. 
If you want to get the grandmother talking, ask her about her grandchildren. Okay, ask them how many they have, boys, girls. Smiles will come on those faces, and they'll just start jibber-jabbering. Okay, probably no different than the grandparents sitting out there tonight. Okay, the other thing that I would say, there's two more of the grandchildren. There's the granddad. He was a carpenter when he worked. He actually made that right back there. We found that out. And let me just say this. It does not matter how poor they are or how little they have. When you come in, you're going to be offered water or juice. And it's like they have this way of knowing when the visit's kind of winding to a point of winding down because then you're going to be offered coffee or chai, tea, and some kind of food, whether it be fruit, cookie, little chocolate wafer things, which are really good, like a Nutty Buddy bar, but they're a little better than that. Um, well, I, I, I don't know that I'd go that far, but they were good. <laughs> he has no taste buds, trust me. <laughs> but um, they're very hospitable. And they're going to, they want you to feel welcomed. And the universal is there's no difference in what the Palestinians want for their children and their grandchildren than what you want for your children and your grandchildren. The gap between humanity, folks, is not that big, it's that universal. Uh, the one thing that I, I truly admire about what they do is the family sticks very close together. Uh, again, this is the grandfather. The oldest son lives right there in kind of the same complex. And when the grandfather and the grandmother passes away, the older son will then move into their place. And it just keeps going. Because there's not nursing homes. There's no real social security. You take care of your own, and then if you can't, then that's where the church comes in and takes care. Not a bad idea, really. Just again, more pictures of the children, because let me tell you, when you look at the kid's face, you look at the children's face, you tell me, is that a Christian face, Muslim face, or Jewish face? You don't know. And you'll know something, neither do they. But they sure did smile. This young lady right here, his name was Cassandra. She's a college student that works very much in the youth at Pastor Naeem's church. She's in college, and she was our interpreter and went around with us for, what, about two days, I think. Uh, really working, working very hard uh, for the Lord over there. Just... Just some pictures. We'll quickly kind of go through these, just kind of give you an idea of what the city of Bethlehem looks like from driving around and just pictures. And again, like Tom said, if y'all have questions, if you want to stop something and ask any of us, just, you know, let us know. All right. This lady right here, what I found interesting about her is that she really didn't have much family, if you remember, Tom. And the church pretty much took care of her. She lived in an area where she was 
was somewhat persecuted for being a Christian, but she stayed pretty strong with it. Anybody want to take a guess what that is? I'm sorry? John 3.16 in Arabic. We had to get a picture of that. And she said the reason she has that so that if people in her house are there, they can ask, why do you have that on your wall? And that gives her an opportunity to talk about Jesus. This is on there for two reasons. One, I just thought it looked kind of cool. Uh, but the second is she lived like literally like a house over from this, uh, better known as a hospital, Bethlehem Arab Society for Rehabilitation. Uh, just kind of neat. Again, now, you see that? That's their wall. That keeps the Palestinians and the Israelis separated. And I, as I have, God has allowed me to travel around the world, there, the Israeli-Palestinian border is one of the most stark borders I've ever seen. I think Haiti and, and uh, the Dominican Republic is the only other border that may be more stark. We were in Bethlehem, and literally the trash trucks were painted white and black, UN printed on the side of them, because all the social services are paid for by the UN. Extreme poverty, trash everywhere. Jeff kept saying that he had a business model to, to fund the missions work, and that was um, cleaning, picking up trash, because there's trash everywhere. everywhere. You cross that border, and within five minutes driving toward Bethlehem, you pass Cisco's campus. And it's this huge, sprawling, American-looking, big, big, beautiful building. The types of cars that are being driven, the, the, the sanitation, just literally a half mile on the other side of the border is a beautiful, big park. And we realized that we hadn't seen grass the whole time that we were in Palestine. Because they, they I mean, that's, if you think about it, that's a nicety. Um, and so that, it's a really, really stark border. They are very serious that you're not coming over their wall. Uh, there's a tunnel. The highway runs right through here through a tunnel. So they even round it off. And to keep you from coming up, the wall goes out like this. Uh, they're, they're very serious about their wall. A little close up. Now, I want to spend a minute on this. This was the second family that we visited the second day. See that concrete wall there? And you, and you see the big wall. Let me go back. You see the big wall kind of behind the concrete wall? And GD, Susie, Tom, y'all correct me if I've got my facts wrong here. But the concrete wall was the original wall until they built the big wall. This house, that's the back porch of the house that belongs to these two people right here. And if you notice, there's our tea and our little biscuit things. That gentleman right there owned property that way. They, when they built the wall, they took his land. They just said, no, nah, that's ours. 
He had olive trees. He had grape vineyards. He had chickens. He had this. He had that. No different than a lot of us. And when they put the wall up, he got so depressed. Was it three times in the hospital? Something like that. His daughter hand-painted all of that on the original wall to remind him what his property once was. And that's what started him coming out of it. it think, you know, when you hear wall, you think, okay, we're going to put a wall, no big deal. There's a lot of repercussions to, to things like that. There's a part of what he's got left, some olive trees, grape vineyards. There's his chickens. And I say that with a little disgust because one of them tried to get after my leg one time. Probably shouldn't have gone down to try to see the peacock anyway, but, you know, leave it to me. Tom and I standing next to the big wall. And, and, And let me tell you, the Palestinians, they're not crazy about the wall at all. And I don't know if I put that. No, I didn't. But there's one picture, and I didn't put it on the slide, that has 90% USA, 10% Israel, which is their way of saying, hey, U.S., you paid for 90% of this wall. I don't know whether we did or didn't. They think we did. Your local butcher shop, I didn't include the picture I really wanted to include here, but there's just big old sheep and goat just hanging up by their legs, just going there and go, yeah, I'll take that hind quarter right there. It'll be good on the grill tonight. Um, by the way, sheep is pretty good. and It was actually very good. The market, Tom had his eye on something. I think he's wanting some bananas or something back there. No, it's a fresh date. Right. Now, there we go. I am so glad Jerry Eubanks isn't here because his brother had a little comment that we're just not going to talk about in the sanctuary about this picture. But I put this picture up here for a reason. And it wasn't just to make fun of myself or, or to make fun. We, we got that for you. Yeah, they, they handled that for me. Yeah, I owe Tom Big for putting that one on Facebook, let me tell you. You see this young man right here? He's a Muslim, Palestinian Muslim. And we were walking down the streets of Bethlehem, and, and there's, you know, decent shops and, and stuff. They're not really nice, nice, but, you know, they know who owns what shop. And he knows that Daniel probably told us what shop to, to buy from, what shop not to buy from. And he just couldn't believe, you know, he was like, well, y'all won't buy from me because I'm a Muslim. I'll talk to a signpost. He and I kind of strike up a conversation, and we end up switching clothes. Now, he didn't really have that on. Jeff, Jeff, those are not Jeff's clothes. Those are not my clothes. (laughs) No, no. Omar, the tent maker, made mine. But um, he put put on my Alabama hat with my sunglasses, and, and, you know, we just kind of took the picture like, hey, we're both guys. We're both men. What's interesting about that is – when we got there, they gave us Arabic Bibles, and they were in black, black sacks. And so I didn't buy anything from him right then. And I think it was either Susie or Judy one who said, you know, come back and buy something from him and bring him one of the Bibles. 
So we did, ran to the hotel, got it, you know, probably not a good idea to walk down the streets of Palestine, you know, with a Bible shaking. So this is a black sack. So I go in there, and Tom had to distract his dad a minute because his dad was in the store, and, you know, don't know how they're going to react. And I walked in, I said, I want that knife. And there is no doubt I probably paid $50 too much for that knife, but that's not the point. And it got some lotion, and you could tell the shock, like, you're really going to buy from me. And as I left, I just handed him the Bible, and I said, just want you to remember two things. Here's my gift to you. Jeff from Alabama loves you, and Jesus loves you. Now, I don't know what the outcome of that will be. I may never know until I go to heaven. But you don't know planting a seed sometimes what, what it might do. And at least the guy's got a Bible he can read now. And who knows? But you, you've got to show people that you love them. You know, it's one thing to tell them, but you've got to show them. Tom, why don't you take over and talk about this part a little bit? Uh, this is the square that uh, they told us multiple. Um, this is where riots occur. If you look at that tower, you can see the burn marks uh, and the paint marks where firebombs and uh, paint has been thrown. And again, if you look to the, to the uh, right of the picture, you'll see that it's Trump who's holding the, the tower up. In their mind, we're the enemy. Um, they are one of the signs that, that, that we're along here, if you could read that one that says Bethlehem, it says in it, and it's just people from Palestine writing, it says we are prisoners in our own country. It would be as if the United States government put a wall around Etowah County and we can't, couldn't leave here. We couldn't leave here to get a job. We couldn't export from here. We were just stuck inside of that wall. And so whether it's geopolitically accurate or not, the average person feels cut off from the rest of the world like nobody cares about them and that um, the, uh, the United States is the pr primarily to blame. Now, again, we know that their greatest need isn't for that wall to come down. Their greatest need is for a Savior. But I want you to understand that sometimes um, it's difficult to get past all the other stuff because the enemy is smart enough to put stuff like that in the way so that people won't hear you talking about Jesus. And so it's the missionary's task to, just like Jesus with the woman on the well, sidestep those kind of issues and take the conversation to the most important thing. The, this was early, I think this Second or third morning, I forget. My time frame's messed up now. But we went to the uh, Church of the Nativity in Bethlehem. And we'll go kind of quickly through these. As, we as he's going through these, as we talk about, and I've had a lot of people ask me about a lot of the touristy kind of sites. It's jarring to be, well, first of all, it's superstitious to, to, to believe that, that Jesus was actually born on the spot that, where there's a brass or silver star on the ground. Um, where most of the religious sites in Bethlehem, where the locations were, uh, Constantine's mother was told by an angel where they all are. So it's all, it's all mumbo-jumbo. And so seeing Christians, you know, or people who call themselves Christians, crying over this spot and kind of thing, you kind of want to say, hey, could I tell you about a real Savior? Um, but it's also jarring because you're, you're there, 
in Bethlehem, and there's a Starbucks. Now, it's a knockoff Starbucks. It's Star Space Bucks because the star that led the, the, uh, the shepherds to, to Bethlehem, and they've got, they've got the normal mermaid symbol from Starbucks, but there's a star behind it and a little nativity in front of it. So it, it's jarring. We, we go to the Jordan, and where people are getting, you know, they're paying money to be baptized, re-baptized, um, and, and we could argue all day about how baptism is a church ordinance, and that's, that's, that's not, that doesn't mean anything. But it, as you come up from the water where people are being re-baptized, there's the River of Life smoothie shop. Um, I mean, we're going to monetize these the sites any way that we can. And in fact, Chad was looking at the picture Sunday, and he said, Yes, and Jesus said to them, walk in the way of the gift shop and continue therein. Um, so, I mean, the, the people are trying to monetize things as much as, they, or, as possible. Um, and we'll, 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 we'll move on. But that's, that's also, that's part of it. There's a throng of people uh, at the, these religious sites, and there's people hawking t-shirts, and there's people selling coffee, and there's, there's people selling smoothies. The same smoothies that Jesus would have drank. Yes. That's a mosaic uh, in the floor. And one of the things uh, that Tom and I talked about one night uh, sitting in the hotel room was when you go and you see the the old Jewish temples and, you know, that once, you know, stood this high and now they're like this high because of just time. We're not smart in engineering compared to how these people were, okay? Now, we've got technology that makes us feel a lot smarter than what we are. But the... the these people had it going on. How they built some of the things that they built, how they did their land system of, of the terraces that are built and have been there for thousands of years. We're not talking about like built back in 1850, you know, we're talking about built in 50, you know, or before, you know. Don't pat ourselves on the back too much. We're not that smart compared to what they are or what they were. In fact, on the walls around Jerusalem, there are, are how many gates are there until seven gates? At least. So there are these gates, and there's one kind of like the new gym here in Glencoe. It's called the New Gate, and it was built in the 15th century. So their new gate is older than our country. Um, this is the way you buy your spices, and... You know, we salivated over a couple of them because it definitely... That's the Palestinian flag that, that flies um, in Bethlehem. That's the Muslim mosque in, uh, that sta- just right across the courtyard from the Church of the Nativity. The um, last morning we were there, the church had us for lunch. Swear they're Baptist because there was nine by thirteen casserole dishes, so you know that that's good. But no, they they treated us to lunch, and that was very very nice of them. Tom got me hooked on this stuff. It's basically burnt buttermilk, okay? But you can eat all the hot peppers you want to, and it doesn't bother you one bit. It's actually yogurt. It's a yogurt yeah. drink. Yeah, but it tastes like buttermilk. It's very salty. And you miss Iron? <laughs> no, it, I mean, honestly, it, it is, you have to acquire a taste for it, but once you do, you need anything you want to. It ain't going to bother you. I mean, that stuff's like kryptonite when it comes to, it, it's good. 
I'm trying to get it shipped over here. Where I, you know. All right, another universal. That's the church secretary. Everybody gathers in the church secretary's office. It's a universal. Doesn't matter if it's North Glencoe or that church there. And you see that pleasant look she has on her face, which is saying, get away, I've got stuff to do. Yeah, that too is a universal. <laughs> <laughs> Just some uh, shots right before we left. This is when we started visiting the Muslim families. Tom found a friend. Um, again, this goes back to what I said. There's that mom. You think she cares about the geopolitical stuff going on? She got five, she's got five kids. You don't see the two boys in this shot. The, these young ladies here and here are twins. That's the youngest la- young uh, girl, and then there's two boys. She's just trying to make it. And I love that the daughter's playing on her phone. It reminds me. Of, yeah, it's a universal. That's a universal, right? To me, this was probably the most interesting visit. I'm not going to say it was the best. I'm not going to say you know it was the longest, but it was the most interesting to me. Muslim family. This guy right here holds a degree in chemistry and math from the University of Bethlehem and can't find a job because he's not allowed to go over and work. He's not allowed to go get his master's. Uh, The sister, which is right there, she had a degree in sociology Sociology. or or psychology. I think psychology, but I could be mistaken. Yeah, it was one of the two. These are not uneducated people. These are not, being blunt for a moment, these are not dumb people. These are people who are caught up in it. There are no easy answers to, to, this, to this problem. Now, we've read the book. We know how this story ends, right? Um, but... By the same time, you can't help but your heart goes out to the children. I mean, this guy right here, chemistry and math. Now, I know some chemistry majors, and I know some... you got to be a pretty sharp cookie to have a, ma- to have a major in both of them. Correct. They probably could if they had the money. Well, and they can, there are, in some special cases, they're allowed to immigrate to other Muslim countries. So, um, if you look at the map, the, ba- the, the, the western side of the West Bank is butted up against Jordan. However, there's a very limited amount of refugees that they allow to come in because they, they, they have a very good economy right now. They don't want to be overwhelmed by the, the uh, I read today, 4 million Palestinians in the West Bank. What? They are. And what, what we were told was is that any movement has to be approved by the Israeli government. And if, you, uh, if your uncle uh, was involved with terroristic activities, you're blacklisted. You're not going anywhere. You're there. If, you're, if, you, if you were in the same area as something happened, you're blacklisted. You're not going anywhere. And so 
on the one hand, it's a desperate situation. On the other hand, I fully understand. If you look at a map of Israel, they are surrounded by people that want them eradicated. They've got Jordan, Lebanon, Syria, Egypt. All of those countries, either during the Six-Day War or during the, war in the, the uh, Yom Kippur War, attacked them and tried to destroy them as a nation. If, if we were in that situation, we'd be pretty militaristic as well. And so I think the, the point of what we're trying to say is, as Americans, I want, I want a 45-second solution in three easy steps, and let's do it. And that's not possible. It's very complicated. It's very complex. And as Christians, it's our responsibility that, to realize that that man is a very angry, upset person who, when we walked in the door, wanted to hate us. And we left there and he let us pray for it. It took loving him and making sure that the conversation was allowing them to talk, allowing them to express themselves, and less about us telling them, Hey, we, we got the answer. And as, as Americans, that's really hard. As, as I want to fix this. I mean, the hardest, one of the hardest things I, as a husband is when my wife tells me a problem. She's like, I don't want a solution. I want you to shut up and listen. Another thing is it's very expensive. It's, um, and they don't have any money. It's like, you know, here if you want to become a citizen, it's very expensive. And then for them to be able to cross the border, they have to have the money to do it. So that's another issue. Also, they're all hungry for peace on both sides, the whole area, and uh, there will be no peace till the Prince of Peace comes. There's just not a solution. That might, they'll be a short-lived, but very short-lived. Well, somebody's coming on the scene that's going to have a solution that'll work for three and a half years. That's what I was talking about. <laughs> but now I think one thing that was, that was interesting about him, and I know we've got to move on, is, is he told, I mean, he looked me dead square in the eye and said, look, I don't hate you. I don't dislike you. And he knows that the U.S. gives aid to Palestine. But guess what? It don't get on this level. The Palestinian Authority keeps it. They're corrupt. They, I mean, they said, uh, more than one time I heard them say, we like Americans, we just don't like your government. And the guy that Jeff gave a Bible to said, and we don't like our government. <laughs> Because they know the Palestine, the PA, they're keeping the aid money that we send over there, and they're probably funding terrorist activities with it, and they're doing things like that. It's supposed to be helping these people, but it's not. So they're in a catch-22 situation. They don't like anybody. And you know something? You can't blame them. All right. That is why we could not go through the main checkpoint going back through Israel. I do not know what happened. Um, it could have been anything, but when we were going back to Israel, we had to go up the little side of the mountain and down the back way because the main one that we went through coming into the, palace, to the West Bank, uh, we had some little activity going on over there, so we couldn't go through it. That's common. Happens, what, weekly, Tom, daily? Sure. Well, I mean, you can't drive around ball play without seeing somebody burning tires. Yeah. <laughs> the old city of Jerusalem at night, I apologize. The quality of these pictures are not really... Hey, back it up a little bit. There's something funny there. That, this is the eastern side of the wall. If you look at the gate right there in the middle, that's the eastern gate. We all know what's going to happen in the eastern gate. And so they've walled it up so that the, the Messiah can't come back through that gate. 
and they put a, a graveyard in front of it so that the rabbi can't walk through the graveyard. I really, looking at that, the thought of the, uh, the Facebook commercial where the lady says, that's not how any of this works. You're not stopping him with your little wall. Yeah, like a cemetery in a wall <laughs> is going to stop Jesus, right? Uh, one of the first families that we, uh, that we minister to in Jerusalem, uh, it was his birthday, if I remember, wasn't it, Susie? Just some more pictures. Of and those Jer- are the hills of Galilee. Mm-hmm. I've got a good friend that lived there. All right, I've got to tell this story. I know we're running short on time. You see this lady right here? She's a widow lady. She used to live on the Mount of Olives with her husband. And she lived in a community on the Mount of Olives that there were Christians, there were Muslims, there were Jews. Don't think that there's not pockets of area over there wherever, where they all get along. They do. But this particular lady's husband one night got a knock on the door from a Muslim neighbor who said, hey, the radical Islam folks are after me because I owe them some money. If I was told once, I was told at least four times that radical Islam is basically a mafia. Okay? And, he, and the Christian man says to his Muslim neighbor, and I'm paraphrasing here, don't worry about it, brother, I got you. Come on, I'll protect you. They beat the Christian husband and the Muslim to death. She's now a widow and had to move off the, off of the Mount of Olives. This is Naeem's oldest brother who died. Now, you want to talk about commercials that say sacrifice everything? That cat sacrificed everything protecting a Muslim. How many of us would sacrifice to protect a Muslim neighbor? That hit me pretty hard when I was looking, when I was here in the story. The camel. Oh, Lord. Allah, Allah. (laughs) That is our head camel herder. If you want to see the videos of him riding it around the top of the Mount of Olives, come see me after this. I've got some great ones. All right. And would you like that in an 8 by 10 color glossy? Okay. Very good. <laughs> Cemetery, um, instead of flowers, they put rocks. Um, probably cut down on cost, but there was a reason for that. What was that reason? Flowers are transient. Rocks last. Thank you. Just again, these are pictures from standing uh, on the Mount of Olives looking down at the old city of uh, Jerusalem. I just want to say one thing here. It's one of my favorite spots because uh, I first saw it at night and then I've seen it in the daytime. But uh, Jesus says in Luke thirteen thirty-four, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who killed the prophets and stoned them, who were sent to you, how often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood, but you would not. Um, I I can't look out through there without thinking about that. This is where we're going into the old city of Jerusalem. We entered through the Damascus Gate.
Now, roll tide. Roll tide. If you have any doubt from now, no. Not right there. In the old city of Jerusalem. Just roll tide to you. Sorry, Auburn. Y'all are not chosen. (laughs) We are the chosen ones, okay? Um, The Western Wall. The absolute most sought-after piece of real estate in the history of mankind. The one thing that humbled me unbelievably during this whole trip is the lack of biblical history and knowledge of biblical history that I have. I'm not going to point fingers at anybody else, but that I have. You know, you, you go to church, you're raised in church or what, you know. But do you ever get serious about it? Do you ever really get serious about reading the scriptures and finding out how all this actually pieces together? You know? I will say it, though. One of the things when we lived in a Muslim country and even when we were in Bethlehem, five times a day that call to prayer cries out from all the minarets. And every time I heard that call to prayer, it, it always starts out with, you know, you can hear the, as the, as the guy gets up in the minion and picks the microphone up, and you can hear that beginning of the, Allah, in my mind, I could picture someone groping in the dark for God. And as we stood at the Western Wall, and I saw very austere, sincere, Jewish men who were reading the Old Testament and rocking back and forth praying in front of that western wall. I wanted to just scream, you're so close. He sent his son. Your Messiah has come. That moved me. The the western wall moved me. Mm. That... Back up. That moved me. (laughs) Not that. But if we look at John's gospel of the crucifixion and the resurrection, and I'm going to do a little paraphrasing here, and I'm going to expect Tom to come in. and. No, I'm not going to correct you. I've learned to put up with you being wrong. Yeah. (laughs) Does he have a mute button, Ann? All right. It says, you know, after Pontius Pilate washed his hands of of it, they took him outside the wall to a nearby place called Golgotha, or the place of the skull. And here he was crucified. You know, the pictures or the vision we get in our mind of the crucifixion is up on this hill. You know, Jesus in the middle with the two thieves on the side of him. In actuality, there's a bus stop in front of Golgotha now, and and he probably wasn't crucified on top of the hill because we found out that the Arabs had a nice way to execute people, and that was to throw boulders off the top up here down onto them. All right? So more than likely, the crosses were along the road that led north. And guess what? In front of there is a a road that leads north. 
And I'm sure that they did it there where people would go by and go, I don't know what he did, but I ain't going to do that. Because they're, you know, they're, they're looking at the people hanging on the cross. And that's it. The bus stop until you get there. The place of the skull, eye socket, eye socket, nose, mouth. That picture was taken in 1901. Anybody see that or is that just me? When we were standing there, because Mount Moriah, which is the city, that the, the mountain where Abraham offered Isaac, on Mount Moriah, that's also the, the part of the city, or that is also the mountain that is the, the Mount Zion. It's where the threshing floor was bought. It's where the temple is. And that mountain kind of comes down, and then there's an area that was being, that, that was the sandstone was mined in, and it makes a flat, and that was the execution point. And so our tour guide, Daniel, was kind of walking us through that, and, and I, I was, was kind of sort of listening and looking around. And then we started walking toward that, that scene. And it, I cannot believe that this image is not like in every one of our Bible. Because I've never seen this in my life. And when I saw in Stark Relief, it's like, you know, those magic puzzles you look at. When I saw the skull, I just started walking toward it and almost got ran over by a bus. Because it was like, oh my gosh, it's like the Punisher mask. It's, it's, it's a skull. Right there. And um, so I, it would have been bad if I'd gotten hit by a bus, but if you're going to die, that's a pretty good place to die. Um, so that was one of the places that really, that, that jumped out at me. Um, and again, I don't understand why we're not, we haven't publicized that. That's just so clear that that's a skull. Anyway. It, it is extremely clear, even now. No, these pictures were taken then, but even now, it, it's extremely clear. But then we, we learned that after Jesus died, and he did not pass out over the pain or was just out of it. I mean, he died. Nicodemus says, hey, can we, can we have, kind of have the body? Because we got the Jewish holiday coming up and everything, and, and we really need to get him down. And, and I, yeah, sure. Well, they say there was a, a garden tomb that was also nearby. That the tomb was owned by a wealthy family and it had never been used. That's the garden. Now you understand, most of Israel's rock, sand, but right very close to Golgotha is this garden. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The entrance to the tomb. Now, look, let's be honest. Do we know that is the tomb without any doubt, hesitation? No, we don't. But does it doesn't matter if this particular one was the exact one or not. What matters is it's there. And we walked there from Golgotha. It's really close. And if you look, you can see a fracture along the top and a fracture along the side. That, the reason why it's built up there is because they're, apparently that's been dated to the first century. And there's something in the Bible about an a, a, a earthquake. Um, that part of the 
tomb has had, had to be rebuilt back up because of that fracture line. Uh, and I'm here to tell you that uh, he's not there. He's risen, just as he said. Yes, ma'am. Well, that's that. That is the that there is a, a pool there, and and a um, they they've excavated that now, and it's uh, there's a wine press and a, a fountain, and so that's how they know that that's been dated archaeologically to the first century. So they know that that would have been a garden a, with the wine press and the and the the fountain. The one thing, my if you'll let me call it my God moment, okay. The guide of the, uh, the the young lady who was the guide at the um, garden tomb was twenty four year old young lady who had ha- undergrad here in the United States, but was getting her master's uh, in Jerusalem in religious studies. And the countenance on her face—I mean, you could just tell that young lady was just full of the scriptures and Christ. And she said, "You know." And when Mary came the next morning to see the tomb, an angel of the Lord appeared and said, "Hey, I know what you're looking for." But come and see, he's not here. And what did, what did the angel say after he said, come and see? Go and tell. Go and tell. And that's when the two by four went, boop. And it said, all right, fat boy, you've come and seen. Now you go back home and tell. Because I'm like, time, he, he, he's not there. Let me say this. This is what they call Gordon's Calvary, and it was discovered in the late 1800s. He was a soldier, and he found this. And, and so the English, uh, there's a firm, or what is it that owns it? What would you call that? It's the, it's the, uh, I, uh, the British Bible Society is who ultimately owns it, and they have a group that's called the British Garden Tomb Association that uh, is a... a um, like a 403C that, that runs it. And, and they work there for free. But there's another area that the Catholics have, and that might be what you're referring to because they have a big slab that they, you know, have you touch. Um, that Church Holy Sepulchre. Got a meeting right now. I I don't know. Um, one thing though, um, I I think it's interesting that God. Um, Sometimes keeps things hidden until he's ready to reveal it. We're going to, in the essence of time, kind of hurry through the rest of the slides. And, and I'm sure that Tom and Susie and Judy um, and myself, we'll, just a second, Karen, I'll be right with you, sweetheart, that we'll be glad to go over it with you again. But yes, Karen, I'm sorry. Okay.
where um, are you talking about Pastor Naeem? Yes, Stephen yeah, Curry is Pastor Naeem's son. Yes, it, it was he has church. a church. In fact, we mm -hmm. saw where he would have met, and it's probably, uh, it was around the Mount of Olives, probably three miles from where, where we are here, Steve Curry's. Well, Stephen lives with his dad in Bethlehem, but his pastor's a church in Jerusalem. Right. Well, I still don't feel comfortable going to, uh, would, would not be comfortable going back to Turkey. Um, when uh, we, my first trip out was to Haiti, and uh, the, uh, the TSA stopped me on coming back into the country, and they just asked for some pictures and some information. So uh, I felt like it would have, because that wasn't as jarring as it could have been, I felt like it would have been okay for me to... Go, but I, right now, when, when we were offered a flight the next day at 12 o'clock that would go through Istanbul, I, I did not feel comfortable going back to Istanbul. I have no desire to spend the next 30 years on house arrest in Turkey, even though the Samit would be really good. Our hotel in Jerusalem, uh, just these are the nomads that live. Uh, outside of Jerusalem, going Bedouins. into the Bedouins. The Bedouins, yeah. And this, this, these, this is the Judean hillside. Donkeys, people. The Sea of Galilee. Into Tiberias. Which again was really weird as he's going through this that we saw that you know we stop and have pizza in Tiberias which is mentioned in the Bible. I mean, that's just, it's hard to wrap your brain around. Very hard. But like I said, a lot of the cities are very modern with water parks and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. That's why I wanted to show you these. Again, a picture of the Sea of Galilee. And it's not really a sea, by the way. It's a freshwater lake. About a third of the size of Smith Lake. I looked it up when we got back. It's a little bitty. Calpurnia. Um... This was real touching, or, or, or real, uh, made you think. This was what I'm talking about, about some of the buildings and engineering. Tom, give me a date line on this. Fourth century. Fourth century, look at the engraving. I mean, I can't get somebody to grout my tub, so that's... I mean, and, and look at that. Look at the indentions and the craftsmanship. And this is 4th century. There's a temple here, and it's where they think Peter lived there real close, and they have them. Um... That's the synagogue, uh, which would have been uh, that, that flooring, that, the black stone you saw there would have been... If you recall Jesus walking into the, the, the synagogue in Capernaum and reading from the scroll and saying, this prophecy is being fulfilled in your presence. That's the floor that that happened on. And look at the columns, folks. Again, the engineering, the building skills, 
They didn't have all the stuff we have now. I mean, that's just beautiful. These were houses, apartments, if you will. And to think that our Savior, one of those there, we don't know which one, but is the one that they lowered the man through the thatched roof, you know, where Jesus could touch him to where he could, you know, walk again. To sit there and overlook that and go, my Savior walked into one of those? Probably all of them. You're right, Judy. And we, we joked as we stood there and looked at that, Susie, being the real estate agent, was saying, oh, this one's got some upgrades. Um, she, was, she was ready to, to put a sign in front of it. Um, and uh, um, it, it really made stories like the story where Je- that Jesus told that Chad got to preach on, uh, where the guy stands outside the door, knocks on the door, it kind of adds to the flavor of it, the fact that you realize that those houses were that close to each other. So as this dude's knocking on the door going, hey man, I got a guest that came, I need some bread. And he's like, dude, I've already gone to bed. I'm laying in the bed. My kids are already put to bed. Go away. And he's like, come on, man, I need some bread. Get them, give me some bread. Everybody in the neighborhood would have heard that because the houses are so close. And so that adds a layer of, of humor to the story that Jesus told. A uh, statue to Peter upon this rock, I build my church. Um, this is the one, uh, again, that just meant a lot to me. We don't know if it's the exact spot, but pretty close where the Sermon on the Mount took place. And to stand there and think, Jesus stood somewhere here and gave the Sermon on the I mean, wow. And to me... Uh, Okay, so everybody here can think of, like, when I, where I grew up as a kid, there's, there's a place on the Coosa where we, um, we had a, there was a tree that had kind of halfway fallen down that we had a rope tied in, and we would swing out. And, and there's somebody, Grant Skagg, here in the church that's now built a house on that point. And whenever I go to his house, I, the geography still feels familiar to me. Because it was some place that I looked at the whole time I, I was growing up. There's a, a place, if you're going down 411 towards center, where the mountain is just really beautiful, just past where old Dr. Stone's vet office was, that, that place feels like home to me. That view that Jeff just had up there would have been the view that when Jesus went out from Capernaum a little ways to pray and think, that's exactly what he had been looking at. And so knowing that this was the geography that Jesus looked at was really cool. Again, uh, the Sea of Galilee from uh, the Mount. The entire Galilee, again, talking about the scope that I had never realized before, the entirety of Galilee is about the size of Etowah County. And so Jesus walking from village to village, in, in your mind, I can picture going, walking down Green Valley. I wouldn't recommend doing it because you get run down like the dog you are. But um, walking down Green Valley from Glencoe to Southside. They're, they're close. They're following the sea there, all these little villages, Magnola, Capernaum, Cana, that Jesus walked around in and did stuff. It's just a small little community. Look how pretty the flowers. Now, the reason I bring this up, this is not real fertile ground, okay? And you got to go back into the Old Testament and look at what God's promise was to his people. That within itself is a little bit of a miracle just to see them. Magdala. Mary Magdalene's house. 
They just found the ruins. When did they find that, Susie? Last three, last three or four years. Last three or four years. This is the cave Tom wants to buy, uh, and vacation spot, just, you know, <laughs> throwing that out there. No, but what was interesting, you could see where artillery shells, uh, you could tell war has been here. The Jordan River, catfish. Shockingly, the Jordan River is full of those little fish that will come up and bite your feet. Um, Susie mistakenly thought that they spoke English, and so she would sit there and go, now little fish, I'll leave my toes alone. And I'm thinking, they don't, they, they, you got to do that in Hebrew. There they are. There they are. Those are my ugly feet. But there we are with our feet in the Jordan River. And the little fish is just nibbling all over it. Hebrew pizza. It was actually quite good. Uh, the reason this picture is even in here is to show you, you know, you've seen a lot of the ruins, I mean, in the, in the old stuff. There are many, many parts of Israel that is, that's very modern, very westernized, um, especially along the Mediterranean coastline. Uh, around the Tel Aviv area, and it's actually a very beautiful country. Absolutely, as far as on a cool scale, taking a boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. That was our captain, and, and they built this boat uh, to, res to as close to resemble the boat that Jesus was on when he said, hey, calm the storm. You know, just look, y'all chill, I got this. About, um, I think he said six years ago, there was a first century fishing boat that was found buried in the silt. And so he built that boat that we were on to resemble the dimensions of the first century fishing boat. To me, that was just the, the sun going down over Tiberias out in a boat on the Sea of Galilee. We taught our little Jewish uh, boat driver how to say roll tide. Yes, we did. And uh, he didn't understand, so Jeff actually got on his phone and pulled up the ESPN commercial where everybody walks around and goes, roll tide, roll tide. And, then, and so showed him that so that he could understand. And as we left, he said, roll, roll tide. tide. I mean, I figured since in the old city of Jerusalem, we found out that Alabama is the chosen one. I mean, you know, he needed to know how to say that. I'm just going out on a limb there. He had a dream he's going to sell, uh, buy some property and sell it by the square inch <laughs> to Americans. Yeah, Susie said she I'll wanted lake, she so wanted waterfront. I, I wanted a square inch. <laughs> and I want to be her neighbor. <laughs> Susie, I think you should buy like multiple square inches and resell them here. Yeah. <laughs> and that's when we're fixing to depart Tel Aviv. We get into the United States. That was 6 a.m. in the morning. And if, for those of you who don't have Facebook, one of the things, I took a picture of that and said, you know, for all our issues in this nation of uh, the United States, and we do have issues, folks, but there's still something special. That this many people want to come into our country at 6 a.m. in the morning. Okay. Real quick, I know we, we need to finish up. What I'd like us to do is, if we could just go around the group and share what the most meaningful moment was. For me, 
other than the people. In, in a way, in my mind, it's two different trips. It was the missions trip where we got to minister to people and then the biblical history trip. And I think for the, the, that side, the, the, the beach at Capernaum, um, one of my favorite stories in the New Testament is where Jesus sits down and cooks fish for his disciples and Peter comes up after Peter had denied Jesus three times and Jesus looks at Peter and says, do you love me more than these? And Peter says, you know, I, Lord, I, you know I love you. In that very tender moment that you have with Jesus and Peter, um, being on that same beach, and we know exactly within a few feet of where that would be because the story tells us he was on the beach at Capernaum. We know archaeologically exactly where the boat launch would have been. So you're sitting right there and just seeing the spot. And it wasn't anything like I thought. It's not a beach like we would say a beach. It wasn't like Gold Shores. It was volcanic dust and big clumpy rocks but I could just in my mind picture Jesus squatting there cooking fish on a little open fire um, that to me um, was probably the thing that I that and Golgotha were the things that meant, meant the most to me Judy go ahead okay, um, I always I think that um, the and Wild the Western Wild that's just always special to me I can just go there and know that you know this is close to where Jesus was and to be able to to sit there and pray and you can write your prayers on paper and stick it in the wall and I don't know if that's superstitious or not but (laughs) yeah North Lincoln's in the wall and our families are in the wall and it's it's just awesome and um, I I always that's a very special time for me There's a lot of places there that I really love, and and we've seen a lot of them. But one thing I want to mention, and, you know, there there are a lot of sites where Catholics have built churches over, but there are also the landscape and the areas that you see, like Tom talked about. And um, there's a a plane that uh, we drove as we were driving towards the airport. We could see uh, Mount Gilboa. And... um, King Saul died there, and Jonathan, and um, David cursed Mount Gilboa. And we had a guide tell us one time that nothing grew there, and it, it's still dead looking. <laughs> so it's amazing to me. Now I looked up on the internet and read, and and it said sometimes there were flowers there in the winter. But still, you know, for the most part, it's dead looking. But in that area, you can see from um, uh, Mount Carmel uh, to the to the west is Mount Carmel, to the east is Mount Gaboa. There's the plains that's around the um, foothills around Nazareth, and there's a, um, there's an area that is triangle, and it's. It's about 15 miles on one side and 15 on the other side and 20 on one side. And you can just see it's flat. Um, And there's a town that's a part of it, and that's Megiddo. And it's the field where the last battle will be fought. And as you look out across that, you can't help but think, you know, what's coming. And... Uh, before the Lord comes. And and so places like that and things like that are lasting memories that are touching, that touch you. So if you ever get a chance to go, I hope you'll go. Um, My dream is to take my family, and someday I hope to live to see to do that. As Tom said when he first started talking about it, it's very hard to wrap your head around everything. Um, I think second or third night, Tom looked at me and said, what do you think? 
Oh, God. <laughs> no, I don't know. I mean, you're just blah, 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 blah. I mean, there's so much running through your head. On the flight back home, I had time to think. I had time to pray. And there's four words that kept coming to my mind. Because I can't pick out one favorite. I can't pick out one thing. But the four words, is, the first one is very humbling. Uh, from the mission work, the children, the, the elderly people, the, the church, Pastor Nying's church, uh, just the whole thing's very humbling. It's obviously very spiritual. I mean, you're in the Holy Land, okay? It's emotional. But the one that I would put in all caps in bold letters is it's confirming. You know, look, let, let's, let's, let's be real here for a second. Don't care if it was before you accepted Christ and before you were saved or maybe afterwards and the old devil wanted to place a little doubt in your head. But there's probably not many Christians that at some point hasn't said, is this real? Or does this just make me feel better, you know, to have something to believe in? Folks, like the angel told Mary, I went, I saw, and I'm going to tell you, it's as real as anything in the world. So it's a very confirming trip. And, and like Susie, and I'm sure Judy and Tom would say the same thing, if you ever get the opportunity, don't pass it up. Susie has been trying to get me to go for, what, three or four years? Uh, or longer, and I could always find a good excuse. And you know, if she, if we got home here in a little bit, and she called me and said, "Hey Jeff, we got to go back. Pastor Neem needs some help. We're going to fly out in the morning." I go, "Just give me time to get packed." I, I mean, honestly, I would. Um, in closing, I want to thank Tom and Judy and and Susie for being three of the greatest travel mission trip people in the world. I don't even know if that's a term. Um, but they, they are absolutely all. Yeah, get a clout for them, I tell you. Surround, if you want to be wise, surround yourself with wise people. I had three very wise ones. And if you want to know what I'm really thankful for, I'm thankful I got to go with my pastor and two ladies who probably forgot more about the Bible in Israel than I know, so... Any questions? Yes, ma'am. Peggy, I'm sorry, I can't hear you. I still... I'll get it, I'll get it, I'll get it. Hustle, let's go. <laughs> yellow, yellow. Christians there have no means of making a living. Are they totally dependent on on our missions, our giving? No, ma'am. It's not that they can't. One of the things that we were told was inside of Palestine, the average hotel worker makes about 400 shekels a month, which would be about $120-$130. Outside of the wall in Israel, that same job would pay about three times that amount. And so it Plus, it's difficult 
in the Palestinian Authority for Christians to get work. The deacon that was arrested, he has a job. A lot, a lot of the young people are working through the church, um, but it's just a difficult situation. And it may be that, like the, the young man that Susie talked about, he used to have a job, a well-paid job as a construction worker. Now he's making less than minimum wage working in a grocery store. I hate to do it. I know Tom and Judy and Susie hate to do it, but I know Tom's got a place uh, meeting, and I've got guys waiting out there for me. Um, again, awesome, unbelievable, amazing journey. Uh, Susie, Judy, I don't want to put you on the spot, but if y'all have some questions for them, I'm sure they'll probably stick around and answer them for a second. I brought some books that I bought. If anybody but, wants um, to look through them, if the pictures or anything they want to, I got them up here. But Tom, if you'll dismiss us with prayer. Father God, Lord, we thank you again for the privilege of being able to go to Israel. And God, I pray that everyone in this room, we would walk in the feet of Jesus and carry the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world around us. Lord, I pray, I thank you for the opportunity. I thank you for what we've seen. And God, I pray that we as a church would respond to that by proclaiming Jesus everywhere we go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.